0: This is the commercial property show, Australia, show number 32.
1: You have to believe in yourself for a start. You have to believe in your vision. You have to have the tenacity to find a way.
0: Hey, how you doing? My name is Andrew Bean. Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of the Commercial Property Show. In today's show... Simon Peters returns to the show today someone who has a wealth of property experience doing developments and all kinds of things and we talk about the psychology of property success now this is something that is really near and dear to my heart and i think that this is what separates the people who achieve great things to the people that never get started it's an excellent interview I hope you enjoy it. I had an excellent time recording it. But first, one quick announcement. We have a new arrival in our commercial property resource shop. Steve Polisi has now put his book into the shop and he's doing an absolutely crazy discount 50% discount that is insane for the next two weeks use the promo code 50 to get 50% off commercial property investing explained simply by Steve Polisi the newest arrival to the commercial property resource shop Mm Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself with like-minded people who have similar property goals, people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. You can find our private group on Facebook by searching Commercial Property Show Community or you can click on the link in the show notes. Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum and together we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. My next guest is the founder of 360 Collective. It's Mr. Simon Peters. How are you, mate? Yeah, great. Very good. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, buddy. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Mate, today we are going to be chatting about a very, very interesting topic that I don't think always gets the most attention that it should, and that's the psychology of being successful, specifically in property. So, mate, before we get into it, could you share some of your big successes in property for the listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose I've been in the development sector now for over 30 years, maybe 32, 33 years. And over that period, Andrew, I've been more active and then some periods less active, like for around the GFC time, I became a lot less active for obvious reasons. And well, before that, when I started in the early nineties, actually, I probably had about the first five or 10 years of my business career, really just learning about how to become a developer, you know, asking every developer I could find in the books and asking them a thousand questions. So they told me to bugger off basically. Till I had enough of me. And in those early years, I did have a couple of great successes. One was in the sort of early 90s when the Auckland market back in New Zealand had sort of tanked for the last sort of five or six years, which it had a tendency to do quite sort of cyclical like most property markets. And I picked up a piece of land in the inner city suburb of Hepburn. It was in Hepburn Street, actually, in Freeman's Bay. And it was right on a park, had a beautiful big tree. And I'd never got involved with architects before that because I was really a self-starter. did my own surveying with the surveyor, drew my own plans up, took them down to the council. In those days, you went and you didn't have a town planner, you did your own town planning. So I sort of got right in there. It was a great way to learn, of course. I found an architect. I got the like the number one architect in Auckland. And of course, I gave him my drawing and he he just looks at it and screws it up in the ball and throws it away right in front of me <laughs> while I'm standing there. <laughs> and I thought I'd come up with a, a U Butte brilliant plan to make a lot of money and had the design right. And he just basically laughed it off. And anyway, he came back with a fabulous plan. And all the agents said to me, that's not going to sell for X, Y, Z dollars. And back in those days, you were talking in the 200s. And I listed in the threes and sold the whole up myself. Didn't need any agents. And I suppose my timing, that was a lesson in timing. Just as I started it, the market started to turn. And then all of a sudden it was in demand. And I got 20% more for the last product than what I did at the very start when I started selling it. But really what I did was I leveraged the architects. I suppose the lesson was timing and this is important for your listeners, uh, leveraging your key consultants like the architects. So I would get a buyer. I did my own ads in the newspaper and everything, you know, had no idea but had to go. And I'd take them down to the architect's office. And, of course, the architects had all the credibility. I was pretty new in the game. I leveraged that credibility. And the architect spoke the language that buyers love to hear in terms of design and colors. And I'd have a color coordinator in at the same time. And basically, I got them to do the selling for me once I got the buyer in the door. So leveraging your team and having good quality team, very important. And, of course, the enthusiasm you needed to have. But I pulled off a beautiful deal that I'm proud of today, and it's still there, and uh, made money, and everyone did well, and learned a lot of good lessons. But a bit of time after that, my real big claim to fame back there was I bought the airspace, first airspace ever purchased in New Zealand, in Auckland. I bought the airspace over in Auckland City Council-owned car park. I remember I had a colleague who was running the property department for Auckland City Council. I rang him up and I said, I want to buy the airspace over the Beresford Street car park. And he's like, what? I said, well, I want to buy all the air between the car park and the moon, basically. And he said, well, how the hell are we going to do that? And I said, I've got no idea. (laughs) But I have got an idea in terms of it could be developed into more structure. The car park had been built 30 years earlier. And it looked to me like it had been designed to take more weight from what I could see in the columns of the car park, and it was a bit of a guess. But as it turned out, we managed to negotiate a contract, and I bought the first air rights ever done in the country and delivered a 42-apartment project. And I was 30 years old, you know, made my first sort of few million dollars out of that and never built anything like it in my life. So I rang up people that I'd met in my travels over the 10 years, developers that I'd spoken to, some of the largest ones in the city, and said, I I need help. Never built a medium-rise building, let alone a site with a crane on it. Never done anything like this in terms of engineering. Went into the University of Auckland and spent two months in there being designed. And back then, computers were only just getting going. So you can imagine the amount of computer power it took to do something like this and design it. And built it, highly successful, made 30% profit on cost. Had no idea what to pay for the airspace. Just picked a number, really, and got it right, luckily. That was a bit of luck. And yeah, sold it out. But that was an incredible feat. And there was a lot of innovation in that. And that's what was the interesting part, really around the design, the engineering, it won an Australasian engineering design award. It still gets brought up in seminars today. There was one in Tasmania a couple of months ago and the project was one of the three projects that they brought up because we also built it in timber for a lot of good reasons to do with the earthquake uh, codes and things. So people talk about timber buildings today and it's all a sort of rage with some of these architects and big business people doing large developments and back in the early 90s I built a timber building in Auckland over a car park and bought the first space won an engineering design award. So it
0: was pretty amazing. Yeah, I remember you shared that with us last time and it was just incredible kind of thing to hear, actually. So when you actually started that deal, like how much money did you have in the bank? And then you said you earned your first couple of millions, like dollars. Like what was that feeling to walk away from something with millions of dollars in the bank? And then also to that, what was the first thing you purchased with that money? (laughs) Well, like a young guy, I'll
1: start from the last question. The first thing I purchased was a boat. Me and a couple of guys built a brand new half million dollar boat and I bought a share of that. Nice. Yeah. So splashed a bit of money around. But look, I had no money. I had $5,000 in the bank when I did that deal. I signed that contract for $300,000 and I had five grand in the bank. I'd never built anything like that in my life. What I had was an idea and a lot of tenacity and and intention. I had the vision. I could see the building before I even built it. I just could see how that was going to work and I knew how to pull the right people in to make that deal happen. And some of the partners I bought in because I didn't take all that profit. I shared it and the people I shared it with had the experience and I got them to put the capital in as well.
0: So I did it on five grand. So did you know these people prior to actually bringing them into the deal or was this an introductory to your like meeting them? I met one of them. He'd gone bust in
1: the 87 share market crash and he owned the largest property development company in New Zealand. He was extremely wealthy and when I met him, he'd lost everything because of share market crash in the 80s, the commercial properties which he was involved in devalued by 80% in some cases. So it was horrendous uh, crash. And what's quite funny is I started out life as a labourer on a building site. So I go right back to the trenches. And I used to be a labourer for a construction company building his buildings. Wow. Yeah. So that was interesting. So I, I just met him by charts and he was very generous towards me and I really appreciated that. And I was grateful for that as a young guy. And Someone at that sort of level would even give me the time of day, and he did. So when it came time to needing a partner to help me put that together, I rang him up, and he became my partner on that project.
0: So, I mean, with the money that you committed or the contract that you signed, were you 100% committed to that? Was it an option deal? Could you have backed out, or were you just like you were on the line no matter what?
1: Well, in New Zealand, there's no stamp duty, so you don't have to have option agreements. In effect, it does the same thing. So I had a conditional contract subject to due diligence for, I think it was three or four months with the Auckland City Council, and we extended that by a couple of months, and we ended up with about six months, effectively option in this country's terms. And, yes, I was committed only in terms of having to do a lot of work, design. There was obviously expenditure to get the university work done with the computer analysis of the earthquake codes and the design. because extremely innovative building in every respect. So, yes, we did commit, but I got those guys, my business partners, and I got them to do that. I had the deal. They had gone bust, and they needed to get back on the board, basically, and I happened to have the deal, and I struck a 50-50 joint venture with them. They'd spent their money to get it to the point of going unconditional.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is incredible. This is how like anyone with no money, if you have the deal or you can find great deals, you don't have to have all the pieces. You don't have to have the deal, the money, and then the know-how. If you just have one of those things, and you can find people that have the opposite things to you, you can get deals done hundred percent, mate. I
1: can't reiterate that enough to your listeners, Andrew. I mean, we're going to talk about mindset today and that's the key, mate. Like you have to believe in yourself for a start. You have to believe in your vision and you have to have the tenacity to find a way. And one thing I can absolutely vouch for in my whole life, often I haven't had the money to do the deal or the scale that I was going to do. If you have a good deal and it stacks up and makes sense and it's commercial, you will always find the money. There are always people. The money is not the shortage okay it's the people with the vision to drive the tenacity to get it over the line there's a shortage of that there's a shortage of mindset actually and consistency with it but there's no shortage of capital out there if you've got a good project people want to put money into it now they might not back you because you're not the team in your own world you might not be the team that they want to back then you build the team around that
0: and that's what i did so that was a pretty good deal for you share wise as well i mean i guess you were putting in all the sweat sweat equity what were they actually going to bring to the table To be honest,
1: I was a hard negotiator then because I was negotiating, I suppose, a bit from sort of desperation. I had nothing and I wanted to make a lot of money and be successful. So I was pretty tough. I actually got them down to taking 25% and doing it all. And I actually felt bad about it when I got to that point. (laughs) And I actually went back to them and changed it and gave them 50%. Oh, wow. Even that was an amazing process because I negotiated really hard. And to be frank, they put in like three quarters of a million dollars at their risk and they were only going to take 25% of the project. But in a way, they were a bit desperate because they'd gone bust in a big way and needed to get back going again, and they could see that this project was a screamer of a winning deal, and they really wanted it badly enough. But in the end, I, I realized that it wasn't really a fair deal, and I think that's really important, too, to make sure you do fair deals and fair transactions. So I changed it once I'd won
0: the negotiation. and went back and gave them another 25%. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome, mate. All right, so with success... How do you define success and how should others? You hear this a lot from these personal growth people
1: and what have you. I believe that success is your own, each to their own. Success is what you decide it is. It really depends on your values and what you're looking to achieve. It has nothing to do with other people or what they think or what institutions think or what the world thinks around and the outside of you. It has everything to do with what you feel is success. For me, back then, success was building buildings that were way past and beyond my ability and my financial capability and achieving a vision. That was success. And making a profit, of course, and not going broke halfway through it. But I believe it's truly personal. Your success should only be measured by you. I actually think that's a big problem in the world. A lot of people are measuring themselves up against others. It's good to look at other, say you're doing development, you look at other developers and go, well, they've done well in these deals and these projects or whatever, and this is where they've done exceedingly well, and this is what I want to learn from. So learn from other people's so-called successes. But in the end, the success
0: is all you. The success is all yours. Yeah, I love that too. So mate, how important do you think your mindset is to be a successful in property? Well, a property
1: in anything in life, being a good husband, being a good father, being a good businessman, being a fair person. Mindsets, I think it's critically important. And there's a whole variety of mindsets and some will get you further than others. The victim sort of mentality won't get you anywhere. But if you've got a take ownership of yourself and your situation in life and where you're at and don't blame anyone else on the outside of you for your condition or the, or the life you live, and you take ownership of that, take the bull by the horn, so to speak, then you've got every chance of being successful. And that's how I felt back then. I thought it really is up to me. It's not up to anything that might have happened to me or my life. I mean, I was a building labourer. I was coming from the bottom, and I still believed I could be successful. So the belief, it's critically important. Knowledge isn't going to make you successful necessarily. I see a lot of people thinking more and more knowledge is going to make them successful. Yes, it's important. Yes, it helps you get there faster sometimes. But behind that is what's important. It's how you feel about yourself. So experience is great. That helps you make less of the same mistakes. But again, it's not essential. You don't even need that. I proved that back then when I was 29, 30 years old when I did that deal and I honestly didn't know much at all. I never even really dealt with professionals before that. But I was able to negotiate with some of the top people in the country because i just thought i could so i think mindset is critically important
0: yeah i totally agree mate it's basically the thing that separates the people who get going and get it done and achieve like great things to people who basically just are happy to just not do anything it's totally the one key ingredient that you need to have is a good mindset and believe in yourself and don't ever take no as an answer kind of attitude 100 percent don't take no as an answer.
1: Don't tell other people
0: that your dream
1: or your vision can't be succeeded. And I'll go back to that deal only because it's got so many different aspects to it. All my mates back then, my friends, the lads I grew up with, they're all like, Peters, you're a lunatic. There's no way you're going to build a 42 apartments on this thing. Look at you. And I was like, even more reason for me to be successful when they said that to me. I was like, absolutely, I will. Yeah. You watch me. That you know, it
0: made me more determined. Yeah, it definitely fueled you. So, mate. What advice would you give young investors that are starting their career in the property game right now? Well, I think the starting advice is work out what you really want to achieve in life. And I'm saying in
1: life, what do you really want in life? And then you work backwards. This is, I think, an area that all of us can work on and be better at. And that is understanding what our values are. What do you really want out of life? People say, I want more money and this and that. But at the end of the day, what does that give you? What are you really looking for? You want more time. Like back then for me, I wanted to have a life where I had a lot of money. So I could raise my kids, travel the world with them and educate them myself. Cause that was important to me. I thought, and I wanted to be free. I wanted to have the time and I thought that having money would give me that. So basically you got to, you got, I think you got to work backwards. What do you really want to achieve? Is it really going to fulfill what you want out of life? So being a property developer, because this is what we're talking about or being a property investor. Is that the space that's going to fulfill you? Are you excited about it? Are you genuinely passionate about it? I said this last time when we were talking. Does it make you want to leap out of bed and get on the telephone or get on the computer or go out and look at an asset or negotiate a deal? Do you feel excited about doing that every single day of your life? And I know I did seven days a week to the point where I set people mad and bored and crazy because all I could talk about was real estate deals. So is it really going to fulfill you? Ask those questions first because you might find to get all the way down the track and you go, actually, why am I really wanting to do this? Why am I really doing this? Especially when you hit the roadblocks and the hard times, you're going to know whether you really like it or not then because they're the times that you've got to push through and that's when you need the passion to help you push through. So are you ready to take what comes at because some seriously difficult times can come at you? And they have for me. Facing down the barrel of losing companies and losing credibility and things going severely wrong and having to face up to that. That's not fun. It's hard work. Have you got the tenacity to do that? I think also getting a number of mentors. So I hear a lot of people talking about having a mentor. I think it's very important. Back then I really didn't have one and I wish I had it, but I probably would have been sort of ahead of where I would have been. However, not just one, get a handful of them, get a handful of people around you that look like they're successful for where you want to go with your life. It doesn't have to be in the real estate game. It can be personal mentors, it can be psychology, it can be a whole lot of things. And I believe that you should pay them in some way because Like myself, for example, now I value my time so much more in my 50s than what I did when I was in my 20s and 30s. Back then, you'd think you're going to live forever, but when you get into your 50s and 60s, you're starting to look a bit closer to the end of your life in terms of work and other things. And so your time becomes very valuable. So I think being appreciative of somebody's time, being humble and grateful for any bit of information or help or support that you can get from those mentors is really important. The worst thing as a mentor, and I do a little bit of this with some of the team at 360 is if you don't feel they appreciate the time that you've given them or the advice that you've given them it doesn't want to make you give them any more so i think being humble is very important and surrounding yourself with those people that can support your journey and that want to help you because if you put your hand up and say I actually want help people will step up to do that that's my experience anyway
0: yeah i think my like, time is like it's your most valuable asset and then on the goal piece if your goal is just to make a lot of money like it's going to be unfulfilling to a point when you get there. Like it's the money should be buying you experiences, say with your family, your friends or being able to donate to charities. And then with the mentors, I don't always agree that you have to know the mentor either. You don't personally need to know him. You could follow someone like I follow Grant Cardone. He's a big mentor of mine. I've never met him, never spoken to him, but his work inspires me to be better at myself. How do you feel about just having a person like, that, you might read their books, you might listen to all their stuff, but you don't necessarily have to know them. When I started out
1: the internet, it only just started. Today, it's everything. Like, you can do everything on the internet. So, you know, I don't even need to go and look at a real estate site anymore. And I used to think I had to do that. and I don't really ever do that anymore. It's all there. So, I totally agree with you, Grant Cardone. There's a whole bunch of good people on the internet. And yeah. That can be 99% of the people you spend time with. However, it's quite good to have that cup of coffee with somebody, too, and just shoot the bruises, Yeah, definitely. What you're up to and what you're doing. So, but yeah, that becomes today in today's world a lot less of what of the time you need to spend with a mentor can be online, absolutely.
0: Yeah, because it is quite hard for someone like they don't always have that person that's in reach of them to be out of contact unless you're really going out of your way. Like now, I know you. I'll lean on you because you have a wealth of experience and you're very very easy to talk to and you're happy to share your time. You're a great person to be mentored by. So, mate, when you first started your career. Did you have a clear goal in mind, or was it just a money piece, and how did that evolve in time? My
1: clear goal back then, probably because of the childhood I had, and I think most of our goals come from where we might feel we lacked in our childhood in some way, and that's not a negative or bad thing. It's just the way the world works, and I just wanted to have personal financial freedom. My parents were always struggling financially. We were brought up on a farm, and there were seven kids. I was the eldest, and my brother and I worked on the farm. My parents pretty much as hard as they did. So we got good work ethics, but I just wanted to have financial freedom. And I felt that when I saw real estate as an opportunity to achieve that, particularly in fact that you can leverage with the dollar down and all the time in the world to try and put something together if you could negotiate that deal. But I became a good negotiator because of that, in my world anyway, and I got the deals I needed to get in the structures I needed to get them into so that I could do it with no money down. But it was all about generating enough wealth to have what I'd call financial freedom or time freedom even more. Like I said before, I wanted to spend time with my kids and that. It didn't really work that way in the end. That's how I started. And that's what I thought about. I didn't see myself driving around in a Ferrari or a Porsche or living in a mansion. None of those things I even really thought about. What I did think about was being
0: have to travel the world and educate my children one day and have the free time to do it. So like with the financial freedom, I mean, it gets talked about a lot, but I think there are a few different levels of financial freedom where the, like the first level is just you have like basically you've got enough passive income to get your time back so like you might not be going on all these holidays you can pay your bills you can live a comfortable life and that's great that's fantastic and then there's a level two of financial freedom where it's more like a wealth security of you can actually do things now you can start making moves you can start buying more properties and going on those holidays is that the way you look at it as well is there kind of um, to it? sort of
1: when you say get enough money and then come to get your time back well If you're doing what you love, you don't feel like you're giving your time away. There's no time back needed because you'll work seven days a week, 20 hours a day because you love what you do. So I suppose from my point of view, I wasn't trying to get my time back. Well, I wanted the freedom and flexibility. That was more important. But when I put time in, I put time in because I just love doing it. So I didn't feel like I was getting money to get my time back, but I did feel like I was getting money to increase my flexibility.
0: Yeah, I guess, I mean, getting your time back, It might be for people who are maybe not doing the thing they're passionate about. They're using property or commercial property to get passive income to replace their active income that is not their real passion. I'm picking on that a little bit because...
1: You know, because you hear it all the time. It's bloody cliche out there and people talk about getting their time back and getting it all passive. I don't know if there's anything passive. I still own a signboard in New Zealand. That's the only passive thing I've ever owned. It <laughs> <laughs> just delivers money into my account every month and I don't have to even do one. Th- I talk to the guy once a year. There's no rates to pay. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's better than any real estate I've ever owned because you've got to pay rates and insurances and you've got repairs and maintenance. Then you've got to manage it. You say get a managing agent. Well, you've got to deal with them. There's valuations to be done for the banks. It's refinancing to be done. I don't think there's much around that gives you complete freedom from it. In some ways, I'd be happy not to own any real estate. And why is that? Well, because it does take time. As you're getting on, I've got a mate in New Zealand now. He was my business partner. He owns a truckload of real estate that he built up in the last 20 years. And I said to him, you know, you're going to sell it. Like It's 340-odd units with affordable accommodation, which is great stuff it's just he's killed it and what would i do with the money where would i go where else can i put it and it's because he knows what he's doing with it if it goes somewhere else he's now going to be thinking about and putting his time into that next new thing and you can't put it in the bank because you wouldn't feel responsible getting zero percent on your money so i just think the time thing it it virtually evaporates when you're doing what you love doing yeah
0: yeah that's it all right so when you first started and you had these goals in mind you wanted to be financially free Did you write them down daily? Are you a believer in writing your goals down every single day? I'm a believer in doing what works for you,
1: okay? So I'll be quite upfront with that. I wasn't one of these guys who whiteboarded my goals and set down plans. That just wasn't my personality. I was more of sort of a vision, creative sort of person, and I just thought about things and I talked to people. I'm quite sort of visual and I'm quite expressive. So I would communicate verbally, but I never spent time writing things down. What I did do whenever I got a project or a deal, as I called it back then, I had my little note, <laughs> notebook and I would write down in pencil all the costs I thought it was going to be and what the numbers were. And then I'd go back and reevaluate that after I finished it and check where I'd gone wrong. And so I could learn how to improve each time I did it. But did I sit down and write my goals down? No, no. And even to this day, I don't do a lot of that. I don't even do New Year's resolutions anymore. My New Year's resolution about six years ago was to stop doing New Year's resolutions because I never followed through on nearly 99% of them. I thought, well, why the heck am I doing this if I'm not actually doing it? So stop doing resolutions. That was my resolution. But however, when I started 360 collective, that was a period of time I spent on a whiteboard and I did the Ikagai process, the Japanese four circles where you work out what you're good at, what you can get paid well for doing, what you love doing in your life. And you have those three circles I did intersecting and where they intersect is a sweet spot. And that's where you put your time. And that's actually how I founded 360 collective by doing that process over a number of months. So I have done. Quite a bit of whiteboard work over the years. I find that works for me, drawing circles and writing things there. Not somebody who sits down daily, writes goals, checks goals. Now, look, I know a lot of people that are very successful, way more successful than me do that, and that's great. If it works for you, then do it. You'll find out what works and what doesn't work
0: by doing it, really. So that circle, japanese thing, that's Mm. quite interesting. I've never heard of that before. So what's it called, the official name for it, so I can have a look at that and the listeners can as well. And then, And how do you dissect it? How does it work?
1: Well, I've just picked it up on my screen while I'm talking to you here. So the, they've got four circles. So in one circle, it's like you love it. So it's yep. what you love doing. The next circle is the world needs it. The next circle is you are paid for it. Yep. And obviously, you want to be paid handsomely. And then you are great at it. And where those four circles, and I did the three, but where those four circles intersect, you have them so there's an intersection in the middle. That's the sweet spot. That's where you want to put 99% of your time. And between you love it and you are great at it is your passion. Between you love it, the world needs it, is your mission. Between the world needs it, you are paid for it, is your vocation. And between you are great at it, you are paid for it, is your profession. It's a really, really, probably one of the best things I've ever found. And a friend of mine uh, gave it to me a few years back and said, you should do one of these. And I, I thought, okay. And I sat down and did it over a few months. I mulled it over, made a few adjustments, made a few changes, just left it on the whiteboard for about three months, i realized what i was good at what i loved what i'd be highly paid for doing and that's as i said that's got me started on uh, the 360 path
0: yeah that's really interesting so i just noted that you might not be writing your goal down every day but you have this on your computer screen so it's top of mind to you every single day and that's almost the same as writing it down every day
1: it is and it is on the top right hand corner of my computer because i actually like sharing those things with people so I love telling people, I'm glad that you are interviewing me and you're asking me that question because I think it's really valuable and I love to share highly valuable knowledge. And that one there is very succinct. If you spend the time on that, do it honestly from your heart and really think about it and feel it. So you for example, when you write down what you're passionate about it, you should feel that passion when you write it down. Yeah. If you say it and you don't feel passionate, you're not passionate about it. You've got to feel it. So yeah. most of our society is stuck in their heads. And it's really in your heart where you're going to be successful from. That's the place to come from.
0: Yeah. I, I can't like reiterate that. that enough, Andrew. It's so important. So, mate, when you're setting a goal or when you're thinking about a goal that you want to set, are you a fan of setting an achievable goal or a huge goal that you just don't know how you're going to get there?
1: I'd say both. So, I think it's important. I'm part of the Mind Valley group as well, which is another online group. Talk about mentors, I suppose, in a way that Dakiani runs that. Uh, They've got a lot of great programs there, and I'll be bringing that into 360 at some stage. But, you know, he says that most of us overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what we can do in three years. So he believes in setting the three-year sort of vision rather than the five-year vision, and I actually quite like that. So I think the small goals are really important. So you can kick those small goals on a daily, weekly, monthly basis or yearly basis. And then the big hairy goals, you know, I think they're, I think you should have, those drive you, those are something to feel, those are exciting because, They're the things that you don't know if you're going to get there or not. There's the anticipation of, could I fail? Could I actually get there? How good could I be? You're testing yourself against yourself, against your own ability, and I find those things exciting. So I think big goals that are just about crazy actually well worth pursuing.
0: Yeah, and then if you do achieve them, it changes your whole financial position or whatever you want it to be. It's like a huge change. And if you fall short, it's still a massive like achievement to fall short on a huge goal is to have a really achievable goal that you achieve. And then you're like, well, if I had it gone a little bit harder, I probably could have way overachieved that.
1: I think one of the big things that drive us as humans is growth. OK, Yeah. so if you've got goals that are easily achievable, you're not going to really feel like you've grown and you probably really haven't. If you've got goals that are just ridiculous, you're definitely going to grow. OK, it doesn't matter if you fall short. It doesn't matter if you get the goal or not. It's And it, this is another cliche, but it is the journey. That counts. And it'll take you on an amazing journey, an amazing ride. You might end up kicking some other goal that you never even realized existed, trying to achieve a goal that you thought you were wanting to achieve. And you end up in a different position. How many times in our lives have we all done that? You've gone down a track and you find you're completely left field five years later, but you're happy where you are and it's something completely different from what you started out with. I think it's very important. I think stretching ourselves psychologically, stretching ourselves emotionally, very important. And it's fulfilling. One of the things you look back when you're on your 80-year-old on a rocking chair and you look back and go, well, did I do all the things I wanted to do? Did I experience all the things I wanted to experience? Did I really test myself against myself? Did I really push myself in ways that were uncomfortable? Getting uncomfortable is another area. When you're uncomfortable, you know you're stretching. Yeah. And when you know you're stretching, when you're stretching and you're uncomfortable, you're definitely going to grow, psychologically yep. and emotionally. Yep, definitely. So I talk about psychological, emotional, and spiritual growth. I reckon they're the three key elements that every human being has in essence within us. We all have that. And a lot of that's squashed for one reason or another. But if you can access that and focus on those things and push your life in those directions, I think it's very satisfying. And I think you'll always feel fulfilled. So, mate, what huge goals have you set for yourself that you are yet to achieve? Well, this year, myself and one of the 360 team members formed a business That's called High Impact Property Investments. And it's just kicking off now. So it's a startup within the business, but separate to it. And the acronym for that is HIPPY. So we're building a tribe of hippies. (laughs) And I quite like that. Again, see, that's a little bit memorable, isn't it? And it's also a good bit of marketing, but you want to join the hippie tribe. (laughs) Basically, what we're looking at doing is high impact property investment. So we're moving into the affordable housing space. What we're going to do is be one of the people or one of the groups that solve that problem in Australia. It's a major issue. Women over 55s, single, divorced or single on their own, kids growing up and don't have enough money because of having to raise a family, haven't been able to in the money that the men have earned. And there's 5,000 of them apparently up here in Queensland living in caravan parks. I would love to make a dent in that universe and make a difference. So our big hairy goal is we're going to build. We've just got our first one house site going. We're going to build a billion dollar fund that's going to have a billion dollars worth of that
0: real estate. And that's right out there. That's a big deal. I've never built anything like that, but we're going to do it. Beautiful. I love it. I hope you're enjoying the show. We'll be back after this short break. At Developer Life, we get it. You own a commercial property and want to add value to it, but you're not sure how or you just don't have time. Well, it has now never been easier for the novice investor to get professional results with our strategic value add strategy plan. We identify exactly how to add value to your property and deliver a step-by-step strategy plan to our clients. And if you're a passive investor looking for a total hands-off approach, we can even manage it for you with our project management service. So contact us today at www.developalife.com com.au to secure your free 30minute consultation today that's www.developalife.com.au We want to help you maximize the value of your commercial property What are some of your daily routines that set you up a successful day? I think health is a big area of interest,
1: not just because I'm in my 50s or moving on in life. I've always had an interest in health. I've always thought that if you're not healthy physically, you won't be healthy psychologically and you won't last long and you might end up being pretty aged and, and decrepit for the last yeah. 20 years of your life. I, you know, I don't want to live like that. So I do Tabata and high-impact training every day. And so my, I do morning exercise. And I also learned that I've hacked biohacking. I'm into all of that. And I follow those sorts of people as well. And basically, I do no more than about 10 minutes every morning of full-on workout. Tabata is fantastic for that, and high-impact training is good. I do breathing exercises. I started that quite recently. So now I'm doing a lot of alkaline breathing exercises, deep breathing, and pushing out. They're a bit like the Wim Hof. I've followed a bit of his work as well, and I really like what he does. So there's some pretty cool people out there on the internet and YouTube that do that. So I do that. And generally, I do Qigong Gong as well. So I do those three things in the mornings and I actually take about two hours of my morning out and I make myself unavailable and I do that every day. And I do a little bit of Kundalini yoga once a week as well on top of that to try and give it a bit of variety and it's good breathing as well, deep breathing and exercise. So those for me are my go-tos. First up, I have a cup of black coffee in the mornings. I follow Dave Asprey. He does bulletproof coffee. I think that's pretty yep. cool in terms of the good fats and things in, in your body, as well as caffeine. I sleep well. I do intermittent fasting. I really live by that. I think intermittent fasting is amazing. I've done a lot of research online about that as well, so I think it's credible. Also done long water fast, up to ten days, no food. Wow. And I'm going to continue to do that for the rest of my life because there's a lot of evidence that says you can have better quality and longer lifespan by doing water fast, giving your internal organs a rest from trying to digest all the time constantly moving so fasting is high on my list i fast every week actually more yeah. than one day usually so it's pretty good those are my main things in fresh air and quality food i'd yeah. say as well so what time in the morning would you start your routine well that depends you see now i'm going to say to you that i'm quite flexible so in the summertime i'm up pretty early maybe 5 30 which is not that early necessary for some people but in the wintertime i might not be up till 6 30 i think being flexible not being too hard on yourself you know, I've spent a lot of my life being too hard on myself, pushing myself to do this and that. And and then over the years, I've become more flexible. And I thought, well, in winter, I'll just get up a bit later. The sun's up a bit later. I'm trying
0: to follow the sun a bit more, actually. So I guess you'd have a time that you go to bed that's exactly the same each night. So you make sure you're getting that good sleep. Generally, yeah. I'm actually trying to get to bed by
1: nine o'clock. Yep. 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 Perfect. Yep. And, you know, I listen to things at night time as well. I do. I listen to subconscious stuff sometimes all through the whole night actually
0: affirmations things like that they go in my ears while i'm sleeping yeah wow mm. all right mate so who are some of the thought leaders in the self-improvement space that you follow it's changed over the years i like tony robbins It is he's pretty cool like he does
1: a lot of good things for a lot of people and he's a big time but he says a lot of things that make a lot of sense too good psychology behind what he does and a lot of experience obviously He's a big hitter. I like Ray Dalio. He's a large yeah. funds manager. Great insights, amazing man. I've read his book and I'm just trying to think the name of it now, but a really good book and hard to read in some ways because a lot of technical. Yeah, it's called Principles. Principles. That's the one. Yeah. 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 So I follow him on LinkedIn as well watch and read his stuff. A very intelligent man, that guy. Like his detail and understanding of life and psychology and emotions and running a business I think are unsurpassed really and John Martini. I really am a big fan yep. of John Martini. I've done all of John's work so I've done all of his courses and they're pretty intense like some of them, he's a lunatic like 10 days 18 hours a day god that was incredible like just trying to get through it <laughs> what an amazing man that guy is you know I've sat down had lunch with him I know him personally Like you know, he's an amazing human being. So, I highly recommend John Martini. Still pass it out on my LinkedIn profile, still share it with the community that I'm part of at, at 360 and encourage anyone to do his work. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you
0: done the personality test that Ray Dalio's just come out with? No. No, I haven't. Yeah, so it's it's online now. It's only just come out the last month or two. It's quite interesting. It's free, totally free. You could do your whole business through it. Like it's really really cool. I did it myself and learned a lot about myself, so I'll do really
1: that. Fun. I yeah, you try. that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. I read Warren Buffett's book, The Snowball Effect, amongst the other books. I don't really have time. I'm a bit of a slow reader, actually. So I get that link list and listen to books yeah. on that as well. But, and I listen to audio, audible. I've got a lot, i got a lot of audible books actually these days. So I can walk and listen to stuff, but you know, Warren Buffett, anyone like that is pretty good.
0: What are some of the habits that you've built up that you feel have been vital to your success? Attitude, attitude, attitude,
1: tenacity having an open mind, inquisitiveness. I've always had a hugely inquisitive mind, always interested. And to be honest, I could live for a thousand years and there still wouldn't be enough years to live. The amount of things I'd like to try to do and be part of, I think having an interest in a wide variety of things, it also gives me a conversation. I can virtually talk to any person I meet about something that might be in their field because I've read something, learned something, been interested in in some way, or they're telling me something that I'm just fascinated about and I'm asking them a zillion questions because I want to learn. So I think learning is very important, always having a thirst for knowledge. And as an example, in 2018, I put a blockchain ICO together. i would never done blockchain or anything like it. And I put a option day um, island in Fiji actually and put together a resort development and got a team from all over the globe in the US, LA, Russia to help me build that concept and that. And I actually put a white paper together to do a development using the blockchain and an ICO, which is a, you know, wow. yeah. So I learned, six months, I learned a lot about cryptocurrency and actually mainly about blockchain, and that's done me quite well because I've been invested in that a little bit lately. So. Yeah, um, nice.
0: Have you have you heard of NFTs?
1: Yeah, yeah, non-fungible tokens, absolutely. How go, do you think about
0: those? That's, I mean, it's a very, very actually quite a hard thing to explain to people. Would you be able to explain what an NFT <laughs> is?
1: I'll give it a go, but my understanding, and I've only just started sort of taking much. I've been so focused on 360, but I'm getting, I've bought some cryptos lately and done pretty well, but. NFTs, non-fungible tokens. I mean, it's for things like art, for digital art, for example. It's something that can't be repeated. And the blockchain means it can't be replicated, it can't be cheated. You can't fraudulently design one of these things and sell it. It's impossible. The blockchain is absolutely amazing piece of technology. And I saw that. I was aware of it in 2012. We were looking at buying some Bitcoin back then. And I said to my wife, you do it, I'm busy with property. And she didn't. I wish we had it. My son had it a cents in the dollar. but. Yeah, it's basically stuff that there's one off or there's a series and you've got print number 59
0: and you're able to digitize that.
1: The ownership of that's digitized, immutable. In other words, it can't be repeated. It can't be frauded, basically.
0: And with blockchain, it's an open source way of basically registering the actual asset, isn't it? Well, yes, it is open. Enough, I wouldn't say open source, but it's
1: open to the world. Once you've registered on the blockchain, like, for example, everyone with a wallet is actually on the blockchain. You're actually open to the whole world. You can't hide. So your wallet's there. It exists. And it exists forever. So, look, I follow Cardano, for example, and they're going into Africa, and there's a really good video on YouTube about what they're doing there. And it makes complete sense. You know, Africa's 70% under 30-year-old young people. And it's a young community. They don't have a legacy like we do in the Western world of institutions that basically block your way. They've got high degrees of fraud and corruption in their countries. They need new systems. So they're open for new systems. And this is where Cardano are putting all their efforts, actually, developing their yeah. blockchain. And they're using it, for example, and this is super interesting. I know we're off topic a little bit, but it's going to be relevant to property because there's trillions of dollars worth of real estate that's going to be digitized in terms of ownership. And I'm super interested in that. I'm I'm thinking about how to do what we're doing and digitize it so that it can be issued in that way and traded in that way. And that's where the future is. But they're doing it in Africa for those reasons. And I think it's a great thing for the world. And and I think they're onto it. I think they don't have that legacy to deal
0: with. Yeah, I think that the main thing about blockchain, it's just come to my mind. It's non-regulated by a federal like company or a federal source. Everyone in the blockchain they approve the chain changing or the asset changing hands being bought. And then there's also some kind of a stamp on the new registered number and the old registered number. Yes, time stamp. Is that right?
1: Partly. Look, I, I, as I said, I've, it's been a while since I've been back in the space. It's 2018, but I've got back in recently. But it's time stamped. So every transaction
0: is yeah. time stamped. Yeah, beautiful. And I think the really cool thing that I found out about Tees when I was doing a little bit of digging is that anything digital could turn into an NFT. So basically, even like a huge like uh, sporting moment, like LeBron James winning a a title with a massive dunk, he could potentially turn that into an NFT and someone could own that piece of history. You know, that's amazing to me.
1: Absolutely. Like, it's a big space right now. There's farming. What I have noticed since 2018, Andrew, is that the complexity, when I was doing the ICO back then and putting that paper together, it was actually really basic and quite simple. But... Now that I'm looking at it just now, and I haven't looked at it for a few years, and my son's into it big time. He's done really well, and he's learned a lot, and he's involved in a couple of projects. And the complexity has gone through the roof in three, four years. It's incredible how much more complex it is. The derivatives and different ways of doing things and DeFi, decentralized finance, incredible. It's hugely exciting, more exciting than anything on the planet. Yeah. And the problems that it solves is the key thing. It solves some major issues. It's countries like Africa that Cardano, believe, are going to be the ones that really get in and take it up. And they've already got an agreement with Ethiopia of all countries. 5,000 students are going to get digital ID because there's over 2 billion people without identification. And if you haven't got identification, you can't borrow money. You can't be in the system. You can't get insurance. You can't get finance. You can't transact. So it's the unidentified people that they're solving to start. And Africa's full of that. Once they're identified, micro-lending and stuff can happen at a much bigger scale and Cardano are heading down that path where they're going to be involved in micro-lending in the first quarter of next year. So it means that somebody in Africa with a good idea can be getting money from anywhere around the world, and money will there will be money and wealth shifting across to those types of countries. Uh, That's very exciting. It's exciting for those communities. Those communities, imagine being in those communities. Those people can start building wealth.
0: Well, if there are any uh, listeners out there that are experts in blockchain and how it can be leveraged with property or commercial property in future, do get in contact with me. I'd love to interview on the podcast and find out more about the space. So getting back on topic, mate, mm-hmm. how has your success mindset flowed into your company? How have you worked it in?
1: Well, in terms of my business, it's personally satisfying. I mean, having that right mindset and, and getting somewhere and learning something can being open-minded open about things. It's a lot of personal satisfaction. I mean, that building I did in Auckland back when I was 30 years old now, that's going to be there for another 50, 100 years or whatever. You know, every time I go there, it's right there on the skyline. and, And everything else I ever built is there. So it feels pretty good when you know you've made an impact on the city like that, not just that building and dozens of others. So the personal satisfaction is high. Also, when you do get a success, that's satisfying. And when you get a failure, you will do something and that's satisfying. Making a valued contribution to people's lives, you know, like if you can make a difference, like what we're doing with this fund, actually really want to make a difference to Australians that are in dire need for a roof over their head and some safety and security. That, that feels really satisfying. If I mm. could do a few small things to help those people. And it has to be conducive to investors making money, because if it isn't, it's not going to last. I don't actually believe in charity. I think that what you do has to be sustainable. And the only way it's going to be sustainable is fulfills a range of society's needs. And improving the returns or improving your wealth is, is a need for everybody. So if you can mix that in with people that need a roof over their head and safety and security with that and find a business model that works, which is what we're about, that's exciting. That's contribution. You're contributing to investors to improve their wealth. You're contributing to a mum with a child or a person that's on her own that doesn't feel safe and getting a roof over her head. And you're designing it as basically a build-to-rent model. I think, for me, that's leaving a legacy of contribution. And that's what I've learned of, of all the years I've had in business. I've learned that the most satisfying thing is to contribute in a sustainable and ecological way. So leaving a legacy is actually my number one priority these days. Do something really worthwhile for, for people. Yeah, it's great, man.
0: So how have you approached setting goals for your staff? Do you have like smart goals that, that your staff have to achieve or is it totally not like that? I love that
1: question because I don't have any staff. <laughs> and, you know, I talk about 360. It's got a few people in there, but none of them are staff. Everyone is their okay. own person in 360. So this business model is different to what you're normally used to. It's more like a everybody owns a little bit of the territory in a way. I'm there to support and mentor and help, and so are the others there to do the same too. Like a young trainee I've got who's a development manager trainee underneath my vertical, and I was talking about doing some development management, and he said to me, what are you doing development management for? You shouldn't be doing that. And I, think, I said, yeah, you're right. What am I even thinking about it for? That's your job. You go do it. We have a sharing-type structure in this business. I don't have staff. I don't do the Monday morning rah-rah. I do the Monday morning, hey, how was your weekend? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We get on Zoom every Monday and Build the interpersonal relationships, talk about values and what we hold dearly to our hearts and talk about what each person might need some help with or what their successes or wins were for the last week and what they're going to be doing the following week. But we don't sort of hold them accountable to that unless they choose us to do that. It's quite free in terms of that. It's not about, I don't think corporations are going to be long term. I think they're on a downward slippery slope. And I think eventually in the next 50 years, they won't exist in the form that they're in. Because- I think people want freedom and they want the ability to make their own lives. And they just want to have people in a team that can help them achieve that. And 360 is about that.
0: And so how do you measure success in your business? By, I'd say more well-being than anything. In
1: terms of the business, if people are in the business and they still in the business, that is successful to me because they're free to leave whenever they want. People in this business could learn everything and just take off and do it for themselves. I've given it a go structure it in a way that that wouldn't happen most likely, but they're still free to do that. So success to me, okay, this will be the ultimate success. I've got people banging the doors down at 360 Collective, saying, how do we please join your organization and be part of this culture? This is something that resonates with me that I want to be part of, and what do we need to do to be part of 360 Collective? That would be success. Yeah, that's
0: awesome, man. So at the end of each podcast, I share a resource. It doesn't have to be property-related. It could be anything that I've used that I personally think is a great resource, and I like to share it with the listeners. Today I would want to ask you, if you had to give one resource book, audio, book, a course, whatever it is on success or the mindset of success, what resource would it be? Without a doubt, John D. Martini's work. Anyone in particular?
1: John D. Martini. He's it like go and Google John D. Martini's work, Go and do his breakthrough program. It's a personal breakthrough. I've done those three to three of those. Without a doubt, I think he's one of the most highly educated, knowledgeable, smartest people I've ever come across. He's just unbelievable the amount of knowledge that man has in every respect, sciences, every science, every religion. He studies, teaches, travels the world, twenty four seven every single day of the year, including Christmas day, he just he's a
0: lunatic. I would highly recommend going doing his work. Perfect, love it. Excellent, mate. And before we finish up, mate, at the bottom of every single email that you send out, you have yeah. a personal quote that you've written, and I was wondering if you could share that with with us and the listeners. Yep. Okay. I'll
1: read it to you. A person that knows how much life they have left is disadvantaged by the fact they can value and appreciate what time they have. A person that is not aware of how long they have to live will live like Their life goes on forever, and they value their life as such. Throughout my life, I've wondered why we have a limited lifespan here on this earth. And today, I know that having limited lifespan enables us and gives us an opportunity to appreciate and value our time here. If we know that we have a limited amount of time, we can and are driven to achieve and expand our consciousness. And and a little bit of story behind that, my wife currently is quite sick with cancer, and One day I was talking to her, and I was talking to her about life and death, and it's a touchy, serious topic for anybody. And that's sort of what came out of that conversation. You know, I I realized that when you really do appreciate life is limited in terms of where you are on this earth, that's not to say we're unlimited beings, because I believe we're unlimited. But in a physical form, we have a limited time span. And I think when you feel it's unlimited, you don't really appreciate what you could do with it. And when you know it's limited, and you really know it in some cases, and very limited, I think the level of appreciation for what you've got, what you've been given is such a great gift, dramatically changes. And that's really what that quote's about. And that's where it came from.
0: Well, thanks so much for sharing that with us, man. I really appreciate that. Where can the listeners go to find out more about you and your business? Uh, I've got a website,
1: 360 Collective, www.360collective.com.au and pretty much it's all there there's a lot more behind the scenes it's really a simple website but i haven't been one to market myself much actually but it is there and we do have people wanting to join us and i do have people ringing me and finding us and asking what we do and how we can help them out and yeah that's what we're about we're here to service people and see what we can do to contribute i love it mate my guest
0: today has been simon peters cheers buddy thanks very much guys thanks andrew Alright, alright, that brings us to our newest segment to the show, and that segment is called Ripper Resource. In this segment, I'm going to share some resources that I have personally used, read, or listened to that have made a big difference in my life, and I think they deserve to be shared. This week's Ripper Resource was a little bit different. It was delivered to us by Simon Peters and his recommendation was John Demartini. Any one of his courses would be fantastic. I just had a look online and this man has a lot of courses, all pretty affordable and a great range of topics. So jump on there and have a look. It's this week's Ripper Resource, John DiMartini's work. All right, it is now time to crown the winner of the 50% off value add strategy plan. And this week's winner is RCOM23. Congratulations. Now all you have to do is get in contact with me to claim your prize. If you would like to go in the draw to win 50% off a strategic value add strategy plan for your commercial property, all you have to do is go onto Apple Podcasts Give the podcast a five-star rating and leave a review with your name and you will automatically be in the draw for next episode. Thank you to my guests Simon Peters and Kevin McLeod for the music. And in the words of Grant Cardone, there is no shortage of money, only a shortage of people thinking big enough. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This is has been a Developer Life production